listening to the Norse Wilderness Podcast, where we sit down to talk about our passion for wild things and wild places. I am an enthusiast for an adventurous lifestyle, and your host, Justin Stearns. I am joined here by my son, another lover of the outdoors, and your co-host, Tyson. As a disclaimer, this is an explicit podcast. If cussing offends you, my apologies. Welcome back. This is a new intro ex- expressed. I gotta be real and sw- be who I am and be me. I can't be fake for you guys. I got to be me. And me is, I swear, I swear without even knowing it, I cuss. I drop F-bombs left and right and I don't even notice it. I do have to be real. I hope you all appreciate that for me being real and not being someone that I'm not. Growing up in the construction industry, I've always been around it. This is podcast episode number five titled Elk versus Mule Deer Hunting Out of State. The elk versus mule deer debate was brought about by the Big Hunt Guys podcast, where Brady Miller, Neville, and Trail all debate on which is better to hunt, elk or mule deer. And I got a good kick out of it, out of listening to them debate over it. I mean, Brady Miller calls elk mountain carp, and we all know that like carp is like the invasive species or whatever. I know that Ryan Lampers prefers to hunt mule deer. He seems to do it out of the habitat. He enjoys the adventure of where mule deer live versus where the elk live. They both are of the cervid family, and a cervid is any of a family cervid the deer family, such as elk, moose, white-tailed deer that have solid didacitous, bodacious, I don't know, antler, antlers born only by males, except for the caribou in which both males and females antlers. Learn something new? I think I'm on the fence of elk versus mule deer. I can't decide. I've been thinking about this for a while been wanting to do this podcast for a while and i'm not sure i can decide i mean personally i can decide because i've only hunted one species well in the big game family yeah elk i just that was really fun first experience was out of state which is different most people start with deer you started with elk but deer tags seem to be harder to get but maybe that's because i've always hunted elk i've definitely had a lot more success at hunting elk i've hunted more of my hunts have been elk than they have been deer not by a lot, but it's How many definitely elk have you killed? Shot? I think 10 or 11. Let's see. One, two, 11. All right, I'm going to go out the scale. How many spikes? Two. How many uh, two points? None. Three points? None that I know of. There's mostly raghorns from oh. there. How many? And a couple of cows. How many four points? I mean, five points? Raghorns. The only good bull I've shot is... I guess that book this bull isn't a raghorn. So that's a nice five. And then my big six that's upstairs. So I'm guessing you consider that five point right there a mm-hmm. raghorn. Like, even in my application strategy as building this year, I couldn't decide on whether I want to go hunt elk or deer more. What am I going to draw a tag for and go spend seven days hunting and i'm not sure i really want to hunt early hunt high early but that means mule deer which is all right because i love to glass i love to spot and stalk hunt but then i think about my colorado bull i shot this year in the rut and that was just epic i've been watching the uh, destination elk version five this year and that makes me want to go hunt elk even more 
so I can't decide. So I've kind of built my application strategy where I've put in for some hunts that are just a shot in the dark, you know, just like shooting for the stars, going for them glory tags. And if I draw them, I'm going to let that decide if I hunt elk. If not, then I am going to go hunt deer because I can't decide on which I want to do more. I know the walls upstairs show that we need some big deer. All the deer on the walls are tiny. Yeah. Honestly, you also got a lot more space to fill in with all them. Mm-hmm. You got at least three more, and then you can put some over in your main cave or up in the garage. You got so many places you could put deer. Another benefit to deer is that archery starts a lot earlier. I mean, in like starts August 20th here in Utah, and I think it's like August 15th in Nevada. So we get to go hunting even earlier. It means it's hot, but hey, you're hunting. Doesn't matter. A little thing I looked up earlier is just some stats that I got off of a to z animals.com. And this is comparing their elk versus mule deer, size, antlers, diet, distribution, and social behavior. So, elk height 2 feet 6 inches, 5 feet at shoulder, weight 400 to 1,100 pounds. Mule deer height 31 to 42 inches at shoulder. Weight 121 to 331 pounds. Antlers, elk. Large racks that are shed in late March. Only males have antlers. Mule deer, shed antlers from December to April. Only males have antlers. Elk, diet, primary grazers but also forage. Diet includes grass bark and sprouts. Mule deer, their diet is primarily browsers, extremely variable diets according to the season distribution elk Eurasia, Siberia, North America mule deer is Alaska through the western North America into Alaska social behavior elk extremely social groups of 400 in the summer mule deer groups numbering 1 to 7 but that brings me back to like you hear grandpa talk all the time when he moved here in the 80s you'd go out he said you'd go out and see herds of deer that are two, 300 strong but he said he only seen that for about seven eight years and it started going down and now if you see a herd of 10 you're like hey there's a herd of deer you see a herd of 40 you're like hey there's a huge herd of deer most deer i've ever seen was driving up to the mountains on that hillside we always see animals on up by that rock that's out in the middle up on those hills that's because it's simplot i've seen like no one gets to hunt it so that's sanctuary for them i think i've seen 20 like something 20 when we went up driving up there. I've seen a lot of elk up there, too. Yeah, you see a lot of wildlife there. So what would your answer be? Elk? Yeah. I mean, it's the only... I mean, my opinion doesn't really matter too much. I haven't hunted deer, so I wouldn't really know. So here's a question for you. Elk are a lot larger animal. Mm-hmm. It means you get more meat. Yeah. Does that make them better or worse? Makes them better, because... Makes them better more... when you fill the freezer. Makes them worse when you're packing it out, though. Yeah. I mean, it's more memorable when you got all that weight on you. Oh, yeah. When so, it's hurting, you'll remember that forever. You know, dude, it's like, I mean, unless you pack, like, a huge mount out, it's yeah. not really too memorable. Uh, I mean, the moment's is, everything but... a part of it is, but it's more memorable of how much it hurt packing that out. Mm-hmm. For sure. Like, I, I'm going to remember packing out, trying to pack out your hind from um, your, uh, uh, your big six point. I couldn't even get that on my back. <laughs> Me and RJ tried. Yeah, that was fun. That was a pretty nasty pack out. 
I'm surprised you got the antlers to that. I'm surprised that animal could even walk to that. Yeah, I don't know how they did. That was brutal their, kitten. There. Their head must be turned 90% of the time. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of, like, uh, what's it called? Ninja warriors or whatever. It reminds me of, like, when they're trying to, like, swing through with the little sticks in their hands. I can just imagine an elk getting hung up on each antler. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I've only shot, I think, three mule deer. Four. How, how many do I have upstairs? Just yeah. the two? Yeah. Then my first mule deer was with a bow. Well, no, I've shot, I shot a couple of does when I was younger, depredation hunt. So about five? I think I shot three does in one day on a depredation hunt. So six. Yeah. I'll tell that story real quick. It was out on a depredation hunt. When I was your age. <coughs> my age? Mm-hmm. I figured, you, I figured you were about like 15, 16 when you did that. No, I was your age. And, uh, we went on this depredation hunt on this guy's property and the, the elk and deer were getting into his hay and his fields and destroying things so he got like 20 tags given to him he owns quite a bit of land and family friend of ours knew him and told, told us to come on over and gave us a bunch of tags and we went out and we I sat in the back bed of the truck and we drove down into his field and as soon as they stood up they just started blasting <laughs> so anyways, that kind of reminds me of pheasant hunting. You know, when you just like, your dog will pop up and a bird goes flying and you just go, that just reminds me, that just makes me think of that. I kind of had one of them instances, like in the last podcast, we were talking about how the door was frozen shut on the Tacoma and you were like sitting there screaming, it's locked, it's locked, it's locked. I had that incident because I was hunting with that 280 that's in the safe, the semi-auto. Oh. And we gun jammed. And we had six deer tags to fill, and I shot two. I was like, boom, move over, boom. And I stopped shooting, and my dad goes, why'd you stop shooting? I was going, my gun's jammed, my gun's jammed, I can't get it, I can't get it. So our friend pops out, and there's this deer head just right above the corn crops, just bouncing, boop, boop, boop. And you can see his rifle just, doo, disintegrated its head. Then I shot a fox. Wait, you shot a fox? Mm-hmm. There was a fox there, so I shot it too. Uh, if it's brown, it's down type of situation there. I got really good at skinning and field care of animals that day because we ended up getting five deer and four elk. So between the three of you, us, so we got a lot of Were they of any, like, bulls? No, they was all cow tags. See, I mean, I personally, I wouldn't have shot any bulls. So we got a lot of experience at field care that day. Butchering was intense on that one. I remember just doing that one Arizona, and you're, everyone was done with that. We just started, yeah, this chunk's really just kind of tiny. So they can go. Yeah, it took me like, my dad and his friends were hoisting them up with the forklift to skin them, and I went and started one with one laying on the ground. And this old friend of our pulls up, and he's been a trapper for years, old gentleman trapped for years and years and years and I'd been working on this deer for like probably 20-30 minutes and I hadn't even got a quarter of the hide off and he comes over there and starts helping and pretty soon I watched a master at work there because it wasn't like five minutes later and the whole hide was off he was just quick he had just done it so much because he used to be a trapper and all that and he's very good at skinning oh I want to get that good 
that's why like on the Arizona or not the Arizona the Colorado elk I practice caping that animal completely so that if I ever shoot one that I want to mount I know how to cape it so did you uh when you did that were you uh did you like cut any holes in the hide no I did it right so you could mount it if you really yeah. decided to like I tube sleeved the legs and everything I mean there's no extra cuts anywhere only cut it had in it was the dorsal cut from the a Y from the horns to the dorsal all the way down to into the stomach region. I go like at least six inches past the last rib. I mean, it's better to have extra than not enough when you take it to your taxidermist. Yeah. When you see them fucked up mounts that it's like not the full shoulders and shit and they look all weird, I assume it's because someone didn't give him enough hide to work with, so that's how it ended up. Uh, I mean, I can imagine that's why people just bring their entire animal in there. Don't want to mess it up and have one of those weird mounts. Well, to get on to hunting out of state here, why I like to hunt out of state is it's just more opportunity, more chances to get out and hunt. I mean, there's the adventure of it, the new places, the amazing experience you have hunting out of state. But what really got me into it is that it's more than the one or two times a year that I get to go big game hunting if I just hunt our home state of Utah. You can get one elk tag and one deer tag if you draw them, or if you're lucky enough to buy over the counter. Yeah, you can put in for like maybe a... But yeah, you can get into like the cow elk hunts. You can put in for those, draw those maybe. Hardly ever see any doe hunts, doe harvests. But there's sometimes there. You're not even guaranteed to go hunt every year anymore. You can't get anything over the counter really. I mean, technically the elk is, but they always sell out within a few hours. It's not really over the counter. So it's just opportunities getting really low here in Utah. In which you always hear everybody say that Utah is a very low opportunity state, which I'm starting to believe that. I used to not think that way, but I'm starting to believe it. I mean, the elk aren't even that numerous on these over-the-counter hunts. Yeah, that over-the-counter hunt I got is where I killed that big six. It's always been elk camp. Last year was the first year I wasn't able to ever actually pull an elk tag here in Utah. First time in 14 years that I haven't hunted elk here in Utah. No, it's been 16 or 18 years since I haven't hunted elk here in Utah. I mean long time yeah so it's always good to get tags more tags since you don't get that one you have another hunting do i mean chance hasn't hunted in like a year and a half that's because he's been dealing with the babies yeah being a family man there i mean like even in utah i mean i stopped hunting deer years ago i used to hunt archery deer every year but as soon as they took it from over the counter to a draw system i said well i'm done because i was just being I don't know, childish, I guess. I was like, well, if they're just going to sell that many tags, there's going to be too many people to hunt. So I'm just done. Gave up on it for a while. Shouldn't have. Should have just kept at her. So the deer draw system is like that here in Utah is a preference point draw system. And yeah, I have finally found a unit that is fairly easy to draw that holds some decent deer. It can be tough to get into them and find them. I have finally learned the unit to where I'm finding them regularly. But it wasn't like that at first. I mean, every time we go out, it's pretty common to see deer. It's just not always too common to get on them because not everything's perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I just love the adventure of it. It's what drives me to do this. I have so much fun out hunting. I love seeing new places, experiencing new cultures in a way, hiking new mountains, finding new places, seeing the beauty in all places, the different type of terrain you encounter. The mountains just call to me. When we drive through to like any of these places we go, like even when we were down there in Las Vegas, driving back from Las Vegas, 
I look at the mountains around there and go, I want to hunt this. Just to say I have and know what's at the top of that mountain. I want to hike to the top of that mountain and see what's there. And yeah, you could do that if you're a mountaineering person and just hiked. But I love the extra challenge that hunting brings to it. The extra challenge that it, you know, you're stalking an animal. You have to, first you have to find it, stalk it, get in position, take a shot, back it out. If you're successful, you practice year round for it and it just calls to me. I mean, I love it all. I don't just love the actual stock of the animal or t- taking the griffin grin. Or just the story of it. I've come to love every aspect of the hunt. I don't need to harvest it to have a successful hunt. I enjoy everything from finding the hunt, application season, e-scouting, packing and planning, even to the road trip and everything. The road trips are fun, and I hate driving anymore. I have fallen in love with the journey to the end. I love the type B when type B fun when you are killing yourself packing an animal out. I love the brutal hike to the top of the mountain. The mental fight it keep, takes to keep going. I love every aspect of the adventure the hunting and outdoor lifestyle has brought me. So I just can't get enough of it. And that's why I have to hunt out of state. One thing I like about going out of state and all that is that you get to see all the new places and the drive there everything just about it Mm -hmm. like going to arizona and going through monument valley highway and all that i mean i cannot get over how cool that was usually i cannot last the car more than 45 minutes before i'm just bouncing off the walls from there they had to drive to roosevelt and you're like are we there yet (laughs) exactly that's about 45 minutes yeah, getting experience new places for me is a little bit of an adrenaline rush. I feel so light when I'm going somewhere new, even if it's just a new drainage in my old stomping grounds. It just gets amplified if it is a new, complete new space to me, whether that's a new state or a new unit in my home state of Utah. It's different, and as humans, as creatures we are, it seems like we're always, for most of us, we're drawn to new and different things. Everyone always loves the new and different and it's very much true about hunting out of state it's new it's different i mean the culture you get to see when you're hunting out of state you get to go to these small towns and see a little bit different culture than what we're used to like when i went to idaho is definitely and i thought we were big into farming here but we don't farm much we ranch up in idaho it's a pretty big farming culture and just seeing that was cool all right so another aspect of hunting out of state and this is kind of a con to it most of this has been all pros this is a con is how expensive it can be i mean i know this doesn't affect you mr gunslinger over there because you got someone paying for all your stuff but for the one paying the bill it is a lot i mean this is a very expensive passion most would call it a hobby hunting and adventure is more than just a hobby to me it's all i daydream about it used to be a struggle for me to stay focused on it year-round due to the fact that it seems to be only a fall sport, but if you fall in love with it, all of it, you can definitely make it a year-round passion. By application season, shed hunting for adventure, and to stay in shape, to get out in the spring and summer, test new gear, new techniques, to go out and study wildlife in the off-season, to keep learning. I will never stop learning. So what I mean by this is that like studying wildlife year-round is like, I like when we go out and just take a drive and just with take pictures with the nikon of deer and elk like you've seen some of the photos we've got they're pretty cool like when we go down to 
Jensen and get pictures of them bucks and, and just being out there taking pictures of them is fun. And I remember when you got that picture with your nice camera up of like four bucks up on a small hill. Mm-hmm. They're all blacked out because of the sun. It's one of my favorite photos. And then that photo of that doe I got out in the book cliffs. I don't know why, but it just turned out amazing. And then like what I mean by shed hunting for adventure and to stay in shape. I love when we get out there and take Lucas and just hike the mountains. I love it when we're done. Even if we don't find sheds, I still have fun doing it. Because we're out there hiking around, looking at deer and elk, looking for sheds, letting Lucas roam. But then again, I just like to hike. So maybe I'm bent in the head. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, hiking is really rough for me going with you because you just hike forever and ever and ever. And we still don't hike as much as I want to. I want to hike till it hurts and then start packing an animal out. I just want to hike and, like, just whatever we want to... I do not want to already be deep enough in where it hurts getting in there and then packing something out. That would. I don't know. I I used to joke all the time. It's like, I'm not going to even look back there because I don't want to pack an animal out of it. Now it's anymore. I just can't seem to find a place that actually makes me question about packing one out. I mean, I can think of a place... Stuff on this podcast where they're talking about this really rough spot. There's a bunch of rocks. I forgot what podcast it was. They went in like really deep in this forest and were hunting uh, bucks, but they found a huge. Both of them shot like some two huge bucks. I wouldn't mind a sponsor by Michelob Ultra. They always. That's like the signature pop down here. (laughs) But I'm back to that. Yeah, it's. I mean, it is super expensive to hunt out of state. I mean, I should probably look up some prices, like, for sure. And maybe I can real quick. Wasn't it, like, 1200 out of an out-of-state for, like, Montana or something? Yeah, it's something like 1200 for a non-resident elk tag in Montana. Here in Utah, it's 800 Colorado, it's 800 I think Arizona's around that. In, in Wyoming, it's, like, anywhere from 760-something to up to, like, for this special draw. Um, Nevada's not too bad, but like when I put us in, I had to, for Arizona, we are talking Arizona because I just put us in a couple of days ago. It was $165 for me to buy just the non-resident yearly combination license. For you, it's $5. So if you got a youth and want to go hunting, it's pretty cheap for Arizona. I still had to pay a $15 application fee for both of us. But 165 versus the 5 I mean, pretty much no-brainer there. But then I know, like, in Idaho, it's, like, 174 for non-resident combination license, and it's, like, 351 for mule deer. So you're, like, almost $600 for, maybe it's only almost 500 I can't remember. I really should know these numbers. But it's close to $600 for a mule deer tag in Idaho. This is not a cheap hobby. I mean, and really the tag's probably the cheapest part of it. Getting there and taking the time off of work, all that's very expensive. But one thing I've learned to learn here in the last little bit of life here is life is very short and precious so this has made me decide too that life needs justice by living it to the fullest gonna live by that i'm gonna go on every adventure i can no matter the cost i will figure it out on what to do about the cost i'm not afraid to work hard so i'm gonna work hard to make it to where i can do all this another con to hunting out of state would be it's hard to find someone to go hunting out of state with you is because not everyone has decided that they're going to 
devote all their extra money into this like I have. You know, they've got other things that are priorities to them. This is my priority. Others have different priorities. So it's hard to for other people to justify doing it. So as far as, like, the expense of it, it's hard for some others to ju justify. Finding an out-of-state hunting buddy can be very difficult. I mean, this is going to sound lame. There's a thread on Randy Newberg's Hunt Talk forum where it's out-of-state hunting friends looking for out-of-state hunting partners for people to go to Colorado. And I even looked into it and talked to a couple of them, but, you know, they'd already had these plans. They're like, I already got, like, four or five points and going here. I'm just looking for that specific person that's already going to this unit that might want to tag along. I was like, nope, I'm kind of looking for that lifelong person that isn't afraid to just go to the end of the world. Right, so you've talked to, like, some of the people on it? Oh, yeah. Huh. Several. It's a pretty good place to go. I mean, Randy Newberg does well with it. Why do you question that I've actually been on it? See, I was questioning if you'd uh, actually talked to people on it. What, because it's like a dating site for dudes to find hunting buddies? <laughs> why, why wouldn't I question? <laughs> something <laughs> oh shit that's just like a make a friend app is what it should be called <laughs> make a lifelong friend this lifelong one. <laughs> sure is long <laughs> chat pretty much mm -hmm. I haven't been on it in quite a long time I struggle to find time to do anything anymore I mean I've got good hunting friends here locally like Pat he's always down to go hunting anything but he's got his dog so he's always got something to hunt uh, he goes he tags along quite often mm -hmm. except for when he's out with his hounds but then that's why I have you but I have to pay for everything for you so wouldn't mind having a hunting buddy that could pay for their own way you know Maybe you should get a job, huh? No? Don't want a job? No. Still so silent over there. Wait, I still need a scope. I told you how to get some money off of that, dude. You have... This kid has a freaking sweet-ass rifle he got given to him for Christmas. And he's just got to buy the scope for it. Nice custom gun works. But it didn't come with a scope. Finally, he'll have a left-handed rifle because he's left-eye dominant. I'm pretty sure I was about to be just right-handed, but then... Yeah, you, you do everything with your right hand. You're right-handed. Just your left eye dominant. That's why you have to shoot your bow left-handed. Shoot your rifle left-handed. Because otherwise, I noticed when you when I had you set up with everything right-handed, you was leaning your face way over to look through your peep or to look through your scope because you're used to using your dominant eye. It's really annoying not being able to just have a right-handed bow and all that because I could take, like, buy your old bow. I've got three bows up there I'd give you if you were right-handed. Uh-huh. I mean, I don't even know. I'm not that... Because none of those fit me. Only the one bow fits me. The rest have too short a draw length. Yeah, and plus I have that quest I could use. Why would you use that quest when there's five hoids hanging on the wall? 
No, I'm just saying I have options. <laughs> if I was right-handed, I'd have a bunch of options. Plus, my first ever bow is right-handed. The only thing that quest is good for to ground tune it. What's that? <laughs> I heard that on a Hoyt bow hunting podcast where they talk about it. You know how I tune my bow? Yeah. Well, they ground tuned their bow. The one guy was saying how uh, he missed a deer and got real pissed off and ground tuned his bow because he fucking right on the ground with his bow. <laughs> you hadn't heard me say ground tune it before? I probably have. I just probably didn't remember. <laughs> I probably don't hear. I have your hearing. I've seen some people ground tune some bows before. It's hilarious in my opinion. I never have, and which is weird because I can I have a very short temper, but I've never ground tuned a bow, and maybe it's because I shoot some pretty high dollar bows. I mean that new Hoyt of mine, it's an RX4. I've got like almost three grand sitting right there, between the bow and the all the the sight, the stabilizers, the rest, the quiver, arrows. I would not want to do that to my Hoyt because that's the only bow I have. It's the only bow I want to pay for. That's a nice bow. Mm-hmm. Still kind of irritated about my RX-4. That was supposed <laughs> to be the Sitka Subalpine, and they sent me the QU Verde. And I have Sitka shit, so it kind of pissed me off. Waited six weeks for that. I had to custom order it because I have a 32-inch draw length, so no one around here had one in stock. Nice. Yeah, just like your stick, you have to use that extension. <laughs> For sure. Not always nice being tall you hit your head on a lot of shit. Yeah, like in the uh, when we were butchering an Arizona elk in there that has like that bean that's right through the middle of it. You guys have that pool noodles <laughs> on it. to. Yeah, I had to put them pool noodles on because I was tired of hitting my fucking head on them fucking pool or the, that bean right there. It's a good thing you weren't holding a bow then. You would have probably ground tuned it. Mm, I love my bow. I want the RX-7, but I love my bow. Think you're ever going to get it? Oh, yeah. But before I seen that RX-7, I was, and I've been a Hoyt guy since I got my first bow at 12. Always loved Hoyt. I love that they're Utah-based. But after my RX-4, I was not real happy with it. It wasn't quite what I thought it should been should be for what I paid for it. And so I was highly thinking about switching to Matthews. The new Matthews, they just, I don't know why, but they, the look of them called to me. And the reviews on them were excellent. I know one of the superintendents I work with, always been a Hoyt guy, and he went to Matthews and he says he's not ever looking back. And so I was dead set that as soon as I got rid of that RX-4, I was going Matthews. And I want a new bow. Even though that one's only a couple years old, I already want a new bow. But uh, you know what you should do with all your bows is like... In your man cave, once you ever decide to, like, remodel it, get a wall of all your, like, if you ever get, like, a broken rifle, <laughs> don't fix it. Just, like, throw it up on the wall as decoration with, like, your all your bows if you don't sell them. That's probably what's going to happen. I tried selling them at one point in time, but bows are so hard to sell because they are so specific to a certain size of person. They're just I like mean, your uh, new one. With my three Hoyts, the draw length on them is not very adjustable. The one on the one is not adjustable at all. The other one's only adjustable by two inches. So, and then your poundage is only adjustable by ten pounds. And yeah, you could change things out to make them different draw lengths and everything. But then I was spending money on it, or the person that buys it has to spend money on it. And I even tried selling them for two hundred dollars. And under two hundred dollars, I'm either keeping it. 
or I will give them bows away to someone that wants to start in archery and they fit them, I'll set them up. I'd even probably put new strings on them for them just because I want to promote people to try to get into archery. It has to fit a certain type of person and I don't think they'll ever sell. So at this point, I'll get, just give them away if someone if they'll fit someone. I, mean, I, was just thinking of, I was just thinking of putting them on the wall because I like, um, I play this video game. It's called The Hunter Call of the Wild. And like you have a lodge and you put all your rifles and bows up on the wall up with all the mounts. I, mean, I just wish we could do that in real life. Over there we've got, I guess now seems how we are, well, seems how I did sell one bow. We've got only two bows on the one hook. The rest have their own hook. That still means I need to sell. I'd like to have an empty hook up there. So still you should means, sell those bears. Well, if we sell them bears in that quest bow, then they're gone. The quest bow won't fit anyone besides Brooklyn if she ever decides to hunt archery. She's left eye dominant too. Oh yeah, forgot. Yeah. Yeah, she has my old bow. And she has that PSE over there. Yeah. So, she don't need a bow. She has that PSE, that quest. It's a 50 to 60 pound bow, so it's you're looking at a full grown adult pretty much. And I can't use um left eye dominant. Yeah. It really I'd, sucks. I'd sell it, but... I'd probably use it if, it, if I were right eyed. That's why I recommend if anybody's just wanting to like try archery and you can't find a used bow that's for you, Go with something like that, PSE, I don't remember the model, because it's so adjustable on draw length and draw weight. Same with that Hoyt Clash. That's what I'd recommend, because they're on the cheaper end. That Hoyt Clash was like 450 bucks. That PSE was like 380 and they have a super adjustable draw length. Super adjustable weight as well. I think the draw length on the PSE is like 18 to 29, and the Hoyt was 20 to 30, with the poundage from... 25 to 70 so if you're just thinking about dabbling i highly recommend one of them models but the last thing about hunting out of state i will say is don't hate on a non-resident hunter and we've all fallen into it i did my whole childhood we'd be out hunting and be like them damn californians are here again up here packing in all their spring water it's like you know where that spring water comes from right right here dude see that creek that's spring water but you can't do that. And then I've learned that that we are non-residents in 49 states. So if you're going to hunt out of state, don't hunt on a hate on a non-resident hunter in your own state because you're a non-resident in 49 states. If you're not, you're doing you're doing something illegal. So we need to promote non-resident hunting. If we don't promote it in our own state, how can we expect others to other states to want us back? I know that most states love the income that non-residents bring in. Between the much higher tag cost and the economic impact we have on local businesses. A prime example of this is the western slope of Colorado. All the small towns in Colorado will have some sort of sign out in front of there, like most restaurants. You've seen it when we travel through there for hockey and hunting. They say, welcome hunters, come on in, because it's a huge part of their economy over there. Colorado's really nice to hunt. It's, it's all beautiful. It is colorful Colorado, just like the sign. Yeah. But, I'm probably going to put my quest up on the doesn't hurt that we live 20 minutes from Colorado. Yeah, it's really nice living right, right next to it. Plus, it's super cool when you drive through there and you see all those elk. Mm-hmm. I've seen some huge elk through there. It's because we live next to the most premier units in Colorado. Uh-huh. That unit oh, use hunting that cow elk hunting is the premier unit of Colorado. That's what everyone puts in for when they're wanting a giant bull. 
Yeah, we've seen some huge bulls up there too. Mm-hmm. Up on that small piece of private. We've seen some pretty good bulls, but nothing that was like, oh my god, worthy. I need this. Nothing of that size. Oh, maybe 330, 340-ish bulls. Still nice bulls, though. Oh, very much so. But to where they're a true preference point system, you're 30 years to draw that tag. And your age, or me, because I have zero points in Colorado, too. We'll never catch that. So I don't even worry about it. Don't even think about it. The only way we're ever hunting there is if we earn the money to just buy a private land tag. Once you're talking a twenty-five dollars to $50,000 price tag on one of them bull elk tags over there. Plus, you can get something just as big in other units. Oh, yeah. If you try easily. hard enough. Oh, easily. You just got to know where to look. I mean, it's possible just stumble across it like you did your 320 bull. Yeah. I remember we were just walking through there and you threw your gun up. <laughs> and your ogre yell. Like Grizz Adams roar in the canyon. I can just imagine somebody was stalking like an elk. Maybe the elk didn't hear the gunshot and then they heard your ogre roar. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like, if they were hunting how to stay, I would I would certainly not want somebody doing that. Hey, I was pumped. Oh yeah, you were. I was too. I thought it was super cool that he shot something that big. I didn't know how big it was. I seen hordes through through the scope up and pulled the trigger. Yeah. Once you got down there, you know how big it was. And then I was like, so worried that I missed because I just, for some reason, had a bad feeling that I missed. And I ended up making a perfect shot on it because it only ran like 100 yards and rolled down the hill. And it rolled like 200 yards down the hill. Or 300. Yeah. It was quite a way down. Yeah, that was... No, it would have been nice if he died... Like, he literally just barely made it down that long opening down that hill. You want to talk about a roller coaster of emotions I went through in about a 30-minute span there. Well, pretty much all morning I went through a pretty roller coaster of emotions. I mean, started hiking in there, and we found them elk, and the trees were just so thick that I just couldn't ever catch them in the scope. Chased them for a little while, but we couldn't catch up to them, so we ended up turning down into the hell hole, we'll call it. Get down there, and we're like, all right, finally made it to our glassing knob break out some food and sit here and eat while we glass this over and then I dump the pack off and then I hear a twig break and I'm like hmm I better look, go look I take about three four steps away from the pack and look down the hill and there he is standing there staring at me you could barely see his antlers from where I was like you could just see a tip and I just threw the gun up <laughs> Well, I knew there was an elk because when I seen you throw the gun up and antlers moved. So I shot and he ran off and I was like, son of a bitch, I missed. I run down to where he was standing like, I missed. And I'm like, oh, there's blood, there's blood. So I had the high of seeing elk opening morning and then the crash of losing them. And then the high of the twig breaking. I was like, oh, there, what was that? And I go even higher to the peak and they're like, oh, there's a bull pull up shoot I had all that excitement and I was like oh I instantly thought I missed for some reason even though it was at 40 yards so I instantly start going down with the roller coaster of emotions like oh I missed get down there can't and then get blood back up and then we start tracking him blood trailing him for about 150 yards and then the hoof prints and the blood just disappears and I crashed I was like Sitting there about to throw a fit, like freaking out. Like, I'm never going to find him. Blah, 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 blah. Just freaking out on myself. And then I just 
after about, I probably threw a fit for like 10 minutes just frantically searching for hoof prints or uh, blood. Yeah, because I remember I'd lost, I was like in front of you and I lost track of all them. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of confusing because that other bull was there that ran off too. And so I was like, well, that bull went that way, but I only seen one go that way. Where'd this one go? And we just couldn't find him. And finally, I looked down. Is that him? Throw the binoculars up. And then that's when I... Yeah, I remember that. We spotted some hunties. Yeah, and look across the canyon at about a thousand yards. There's some orange dots going up the hill. I'm sure that would throw them for a loop. I probably thought there's some creepy freaking monster living in the mountains. <laughs> Sasquatch. You know how often I get called Sasquatch because of the way I hike? <laughs> no, I can just imagine that. You know that when a... Who was it that seen a Sasquatch, they said? Some, like, giant just clearing these huge... Uh... That would be Doug. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, he, he could have just mistaken it for someone like you. <laughs> Most likely, dude. Most likely. It's like, I remember that more than any other hump size this Arizona hunt. It was epic. It was the first bull elk I'd killed here in Utah, and I was so stoked that you were there with me on it. We had a pretty, not brutal, but it wasn't a very fun hike in there through all that downfall. I had some pretty good fun with it. Oh, and I and had extra weight in my pack. I kept turning around yelling at you going, Dude, we got to walk quiet. Walk quiet. And I don't think that really mattered anymore, but... I remember you turning around a couple times. <laughs> Walk quieter. I mean, that happens. I cannot count the amount of times we had to, you had to say well, that. Even down in there Arizona. in Arizona, I was like, and that one day, because you walk with your legs rubbing together, so your gaiters the whole time. That was, that was annoying. <laughs> I was about to kill you. <laughs> it was a very unnatural sound. Let's just say that. I mean, I, I couldn't hear it. I mean, I was just, like, focused on the ground. And then we stumble up across some elk. I'm still looking at the ground. You, you're like, you know, <laughs> just waving your hand back and forth at me. And I look up, like, two seconds later. And all the elk are just staring at us like, what are you doing here, mister? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, we'll just make our way out of here, you know. But that took quite a minute for them to leave. It's just too bad you were in front, because I think I could have shot one. If you'd have been paying attention. It's just one thing you'll learn, the more elk encounters you have, you just never quite know when you're going to see one. Yeah, because every time, every time we've seen an elk besides once, I was not prepared. I was... You know, I'd be, like, prepared at the beginning, and then after we see the elk, then I'd lose it, and then, like, we'd see an elk, and I'd, like, jump back up on my guard, and then we'd lose it. That happens so much. That just kind of reminds me of you talking about your roller coaster of emotions with your huge elk. Mm-hmm. That's, hunting will bring that to you. You'll just go through this roller coaster of emotions of the highs and the lows. The highs of seeing animals, the lows of losing animals. The extreme lows of making a bad shot or not pulling the trigger in your case. The extreme highs of actually shooting one. Like, after you got your hunter safety, I took you out and you shot that rabbit. 
you were so happy that you actually hit it and killed it that you like were just over there yes yes and you had tears rolling down your face because you were just so pumped that you actually did it right and just that's why you hunt is for them emotions right there and i mean even though it's just a rabbit it's the first actual thing that big yeah anything before that was just squirrel and if you plan to hunt out of state though folks I would highly recommend you use something like Go Hunt. I mean, you do a lot of e-scouting. I mean, you, you need it for not just e-scouting, because yes, you can do e-scouting with their maps, which spots. is awesome. But like finding which units to apply for and your draw odds. If you're an insider member, you get their application strategy articles. You get their tips and tactics. You get a lot in their news center, and this is where I get a lot of my news is from actually Go Hunt because they run it very well and keep it fairly up to date. One thing I appreciate about appreciate about go hunt is when they set out to do something their goal is is they're gonna do it right and i love that because grandpa taught me that if you're gonna do something you do it right and that's why in the industry we we are in we have a fairly decent reputation because we try to do everything we can to the best of our ability we half-ass nothing cut no corners which bites us in the ass at times i mean we could make more money if we was like all these other contractors that are making millions, but we don't. We try to do everything right and be right by the customer. Free advertisement for uh, Stearns. I mean, with Go Hunt, it will help you find stat tags in other states. They will help with a quick overview of state rules and regulations, draw deadlines, follow them on YouTube or social media to stay up to date. You also get the desktop and mobile version of their maps for e-scouting and to have the safety of a GPS that always allows you to know where you are, to know where public and private boundaries are. And if you want to deep dive in, they have all their strategy articles like I was just talking about. This is going to be the best tool in your toolbox. So if you hunt out of state, you need something like Go Hunt. I know there's like that, I think they call it like Postra that Onyx has come out with. There's others out there. I'm a major proponent of Go Hunt, so I'm always going to recommend them. I mean, it's $150 a year. If you're hunting out of state, that's going to be the cheapest thing you pay for and the most important thing you pay for. And if you want to learn more, there's stuff like the outdoor class that Randy Newberg, Newberg Corey Jacobson, Rami Warren, um, Hank Shaw are all a part of it. There's a couple others. I can't remember them all, but it's all good information to know. And out in Arizona, I watched quite a few of videos from Randy Newberg. And he's like the only person I watch because of you. One thing I will give Randy Newberg is he's a very good businessman, so he knows how to run a business. And that's how what he's doing with his platforms. But he's also very knowledgeable on everything hunting. He's based his life on it. He knows so much about just even the laws in different states. He knows all the little details that most don't about everything about hunting. And he puts his time and effort and money into it. I mean, he used to be on the board of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. It kind of reminds me of out in Arizona when we were sitting that water hole and I got super bored. So I started reading all the rules about, like, water holes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it took me forever, so I had to read, like, all this stuff that did not help with anything in Arizona. I learned some stuff from it. And Randy Newberg, he's just a font of knowledge about anything that has to do with hunting, public land, and that's why he's the biggest name out there in the public hunting or public land hunting for advocacy. But speaking of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation is one of the best nonprofits out there for conservation, in my opinion. 
most of the time when they go into a piece of land and improve it for elk, all the wildlife benefit from it, not just elk. The biggest reason I decided to become a life member of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation is that I will never own a private ranch to hunt on. The Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation really seems to focus in on keeping public land public and improving public access to public land. They, like, say you have a piece of private in front of some public and there's a gate there. The Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation will either buy a right away or they'll buy that land so that they can, they'll buy like a 40 acre parcel to open up 3,000 acres of public behind it so that us people, common folk, whatever you want to call us, public land hunters can access it to get to more hunting opportunity. But they don't also do just do that. They go in and plant, how should I say that? They go in and rehabilitate grounds when needed. They go in and put water tanks or guzzlers in. Anything to help yeah, improve their habitat. I remember the time we went out and helped put in the guzzler. Oh, with the Rocky Mount or the Mule Deer Foundation? Yeah. That was pretty cool. I was, who was I talking to? I was talking about Corey Miller about that today. I just remember it because um, how we helped and we got those hats. Yeah, because they was doing it for dedicated hunters and we just went out just to volunteer. And I'm going to do that with the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation this year if I have time. I plan on making a very good effort on making time for it, but life gets in the way, you know. Everyone knows that. A little thing I got from the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation's website, if you want to go to it, it's rmef.org. Open public access. Opening and securing quality public asset access lies at the heart of the RMEF mission. Since 1984, RMEF has opened and secured or improved public access to more than 1.5 million acres of elk habitat across the country for hunters, hikers, anglers, and other outdoor enthusiasts to enjoy. Which is a really cool part about them. I highly recommend everyone support the RMEF. I was talking to one of my friends about it today. Oh yeah? Hey, yeah. Who? Um, his name's Jace. Um, he's, well, he's what were you guys talking about? Uh, um, he was wearing a uh, it was this hat and it had like an elk printed on it so we started just talking about it and how um he started i just overheard him and someone um one of his other friends talking about um how they help with all the elk habitat and he hunts too actually he went out on a out-of-state hunt in wyoming for elk brooklyn's coach do you remember him from last year brooklyn's softball coach yeah he's actually chairman for our local banquet here and i opened my big fat fucking mouth and told him i'd go help him whenever and told them please call whenever they need help which I keep opening my whore mouth even though I have no time my mouth goes I'll help that's why I'm coaching three teams this year mm-hmm. people go I need help and I go I'll do it me and my whore mouth get in a lot of trouble that's why we have such a hard time finding time to record these podcasts and edit them but it is what it is such is life I can pretty much guarantee if you're listening to this podcast that you listen to other hunting podcasts but in the off chance you don't there is the case in Wyoming about border, border cross or not border there's the case of corner crossing that is in federal court right now and has been for two years and I just listened to another podcast today that they expect it to go on for at least another year where there's a checkerboard of public private public private so it's just checkerboard and these hunters went hunting they're from Missouri they went out there's three of them they went out, set up a ladder, and there's no fences, but they set up a ladder and went from one piece of public to the other without actually stepping foot on the private, but they violated that private property's 
airspace by doing that. And they got arrested and went to jail for it, and they've been in court for three years about it. Not been really decided, but most would say it's illegal to corner cross. But it has never been truly determined if it is. But the landowner is set, suing for $7.5 million worth of damages for crossing that airspace. That so does. that's why it went to federal court. He just wants money. Pretty much is my opinion. I think it's bullshit. Me too. I think it's bullshit that the U.S. government sold land like that in the beginning. But I do not think anywhere in the United States that private property should block access to public land, no matter what it is. You should have to provide at least walk-in access to public land. If you own the private property and there's public land behind it and you have the only access to it, you have to provide a right-of-way. I'm sorry, maybe I'd feel different if I own private property, but probably not. I mean, we all pay our taxes for these public lands. We pay our permit fees. We pay everything to have these public lands. Public land is such a valuable commodity to us anymore. We should have access to it. And me personally, I think that that they should have to legally make a walkway in. Yeah, they should provide at least a walk-in access right away. I mean, I can see why not like a vehicle, because it can tear up stuff, yeah. but at least walking, it barely makes a dent in the ground. Yeah, even if it makes a good path, whatever. But elk do too. And I can the only thing I can see for the private landowner is that he's going to be like, well, how do I make sure they stay off of my property? Fence Exactly. Fence, Fence it and post away. it. Fence it and post it. That's in Utah, and you have to post your property. Utah is one of the only few states that you have to actually post it. Technically, which I don't know if you still could, but back in the day, you could go on private property, and if it wasn't posted, you couldn't technically get in trouble for it because it wasn't posted properly. Nowadays, I don't know if you could use that excuse to where GPS and mapping technology is what it is, but with mapping technology what it is, why can't we record our track going in show, hey, we crossed on the corners. We didn't cross your private property at all if there's a confrontation. I mean, and, say, and say, look at my track. I crossed on the corner. I did not touch your property. I think that if they, it's if they were to like just make a small path, they could fence off their part of the land so like nobody yeah. can get over it. I mean, just how old are you? Twelve. Exactly. And you come up with the age-old solution of if you don't want people on your private property, fucking fence it off hopefully this case turns out will be another year before we know but if it don't i'm thinking about trying to get enough people together to sign a petition and go to some kind of congressman or whatever and advocate for to make corner crossing legal we pay our taxes we pay our permit fees we should be able to access that public land there should not be any landlocked public land in america that needs addressed but if, because if gets, essentially, if it's landlocked public land, then we cannot access it, so it's technically private land, because then that rancher can push his cattle back on that public and not have to fucking worry about it because he owns all the land around it, and that's fucking bullshit. It's pretty much just cheating. It is. Because that means you own that land pretty much. You can do whatever you want with it. Exactly. You can't go back there without a warrant. Exactly. It's, uh, but to get back to the news of more poaching in Utah, nine cases of illegally killed trophy deer and elk currently being prosecuted. A trophy deer is defined in Utah state code as buck deer with an outside antler measurement of 24 inches 
or a greater trophy bowl is defined as having six points on at least one side of its antlers. These animals have higher value associated with them and when they are killed and illegally typically classified as a felony level violation. Conservation officers confirmed that the total 223 trophy deer, 29 trophy elk were illegally killed in 2022. It's insane. Poaching should not be that high. In October 2022, a trophy bull elk was illegally killed in LaSalle Mountains in San Juan County. A witness provided information to DWR conservation officers that it was discovered that the individual who shot the elk didn't have a permit. The individual is identified earlier this month and the car- charges are currently pending. I mean, and it just goes on and on and on and on with all these different cases. If you want to look it up, go to Utah, or no, go to wildlife.utah.gov forward slash news forward slash officers on patrol and you will find it. It's bullshit. Hunting or poaching should not be like that. It's, it's just sad that people do it, mm-hmm. especially with trophy animals. It. Like, if you actually need meat, I can find it, like, a little bit more approved if you take, like, a doe, but it's still not approved. Yeah, that's a different topic there. Yeah. I mean, back in the day, that was definitely a thing. But yeah. anymore, I don't know. I mean, if I seen someone that was starving and they did it, I'd maybe look the other way, I guess. I don't know. But I know somebody that did it once when they were younger, 60 years ago. Mm-hmm. So do I. I know lots of people. That's how it was. If your family's starving. Mm-hmm. I bet it happened a lot during the Great Depression. Oh, yeah. I have to learn about the Great Depression. And then Oregon 1114. I don't know if I want to talk about that one. That one pisses me off. Might as well share it. Let me Google it really quick. 114, Bill. About Arizona, I blew my first ever boots before I've just grown out of them. First time I've actually walked that much, too, in one trip. Oh, Colorado has put out a survey to take... And I highly suggest everyone do this. If you hunt Colorado, whether you're a resident or non-resident, go out and take out and do their survey. They just posted. Uh, Colorado considering changes to preference point and tag allocation. When I took the survey, it's pretty much just asking for your opinion if they should keep their system how it is or change it to a, which it's a 65-35 split. So 65% of the tags go to residents and 35% of the split tags go to non-residents. Which is insane because most states are a 90 10. I think Arizona's 87 13. No, they might be a 90 10. They keep changing, and I can't remember which state is which anymore. But most states are a 90 10. So 90% resident, 10% non resident. And Colorado's thinking about changing it. If you have an opinion on this, I suggest you go out and take the survey. To find the survey, uh, go to engagecpw.org forward slash big game license distribution bottom of the page it says take survey have you taken it oh yeah i think they should keep it how it is i don't see what's not working about it other than their preference point system of taking 30 years to draw some of them coveted tags but it is what it is they could switch it to a bonus point system rather than true preference point i mean it means a lot of people don't hunt that place unless they're rich pretty much but oregon 114 is changes to firearm Firearm ownership and purchase requirements. Uh, there's like nine lawsuits pending because this bill passed 50% to 49%. Well, it's 50.65 to 49.35. There's 10 lawsuits pending against this bill. So you have to apply for a permit to purchase a firearm, and which is great, fine, and dandy, but 
they don't have a system in place to obtain these permits yet. So until they get that system in place, you pretty much can't buy a firearm in Oregon. You can't resell it. You can't get a firearm in which that's pretty much inhibiting right on our second amendment right i mean it was the second fucking thing our country wrote and they're inhibiting on it i will let everyone do their own research on that one because i could go on and on and on about that one and like what if your gun like is completely destroyed yeah it's oh they don't care they're a bunch of fucking liberal ass bitches over there but this is where you should go to the sportsmanalliance.org to stay up on all this shit it's free to go to there and check out their uh, map on your state of what bills are going around. All right, guys. You got anything else to say? No, except except yeah. do not poach. Well, we'll leave this with life is short. Hunt when you can. To steal a quote from the Hush guys, you only have so many opening mornings. Laters. Bye, folks. Bye.